0: What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges.
1: Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Vinding. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about teams, leadership, and culture, which all falls under people stuff. I want to welcome Sori Roof. She's the owner of Inner Compass. She's an author, mentor, and a leadership expert. So welcome, Sorry. I'm so happy to have you here today.
0: Ah, oh, Sana, thank you. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, it's going to
1: be fun. So um, I always like to, to start because talking about the passion. So where, where's your passion for, for leadership? Where, where does that come from? Oh,
0: passion for leadership is really rooted in passion for people. And it was in early experiences as a kid, as a teenager, when I went on my very first canoe trip with summer camp in Canada, and, uh, it was a three week canoe trip and my summer camp counselor from the year before had written me a special letter saying, you should do this. You'll be amazing. You'll love it. It'll be days of days of sunshine and paddling and sitting on rocks, having lunch. And it just sounded fantastic. So I got onto this canoe trip, this three week adventure, and it rained every single day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was like, there was no sunshine. There was no sunning ourselves on rocks and it was hard. Yeah, And yet. I just totally loved it, and what I loved about it was, first of all, the adventure, and second of all, it was the company of other people, and the ability to pull something off that is amazing, to paddle through the wilderness with eight other people for that amount of time, not seeing anybody for all that time, was really quite astonishing, and so I think that experience really embedded in me, the love of doing things together, doing adventurous things together, whether it's in the outdoors or whether it's in an organization and the power of teams and people coming together really sparked that. And leadership is an essential ingredient to make sure that that happens really well. So that was the starting point for me. That's sort of where the passion came. That's
1: that's fun. Yeah. I, I already could hear in your story that it was going to rain, but <laughs> <laughs> you turned it around. Um, so we I think when when we look around, right? We always learn by looking around who's who's who we are among. Um, and effective listening also give us some knowledge and perspective to become a better leader. But but what is your what do you see? How can you how can you become a better leader? If I'm saying, yeah, I'm already listening, I'm already um, doing all the things that I have on my list, uh, but I'm
0: I want to improve. So, so where do I start? For me, one of the big shifts that leaders can make is is actually in perspective, and it's the theme that underpins everything I write in my uh, latest book, People Stuff. And uh, we need to expand our perspective on who we are, so perspective on the self, and we need to expand our perspective on other people and expand our perspective on the bigger picture. This is actually really tough to do, uh, to, to shift our way of seeing and being and doing the world is is really difficult work. And uh, I think the starting point is trying to figure out what are the patterns in what I am seeing, patterns of my own behavior, patterns, in the behavior of people around me and patterns in the greater, uh, the greater big picture of things that are happening around me. That's the starting point of gaining perspective is actually just looking a little bit and see what's going on. So that is a broad brush, big picture, what to do next, but that's the starting point.
1: That's that's a, that's a good one. So how do you, how do you grow it or develop it even more? Is that to write it down? Is it go to say, I, find a mentor you
0: can actually reflect it with or what's how do you how do you grow well the practice of perspective is really about um going far deep and wide uh, as a starting point so this is really like looking far into the distant horizon is the starting point and i mean that from a time horizon point of view looking far into the future by looking far into the past. And the further we look into the past, it allows us to look further into the future. <laughs> yeah. So when we expand our sense of time and our where we have come from and our legacy and our heritage and all the, uh, the people who have come before us over generations, that sort of expands our capacity to think long-term into the future. So rather than thinking in short-term bursts, like what am I doing for this next quarter, for this next 12 months, being able to pause and think, how, how, how do what I'm doing today, how will that cascade and trickle down into 5, 10, 20 generations from now? And when we start to ask those kinds of questions, it really does shift what our priorities are and how we, how we think about what we do today. And the balance of, of focusing on now so that it influences next is one of the critical skills. So that's like the perspective of FAR. Yeah. The perspective of deep, how do we expand our perspective on, on leading and thinking deep is about unpicking the the patterns and the layers that are causing issues or 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 successes uh, on the surface. So this diving deep below the surface is the next critical skill. And uh, in people's stuff, I run through a bunch of different uh, tools and processes that you can do to help develop that. And one of the ones I love to point out is the problem tree. And if you Google problem tree, you'll see a whole bunch of different uh, visual patterns for that, but essentially is a tree. You see things above the surface, the trunk, the the leaves, the branches, that kind of thing. And then below the surface is all the roots. Yeah. So problem tree is using that metaphor uh, in a diagram form to dive below the surface of what we see as a visible problem. So this is a problem solving pattern of looking deep. So we like, what are the visible things that we see going on here in this environment? And then we break it down. We go, okay, well, what could be causing those, that visible problem? And we do two little branches into the soil or two different roots into the soil And out of each of those two factors, we then go for each of them. We ask, well, what are two things that could be causing that particular problem? And then we keep going. So we go three, four, five layers down until at the bottom, we might have eight to 16 uh, possible contributing factors to this visible problem above the earth (laughs) and the trees and branches and whatever else is causing us dramas. And what we thought might have been the cause of a problem we identify later as mm, maybe it's something a little bit more deep seated. Um, so an example of that is let's say what looks like a personality problem at work, right? So you got Frank, and karen these are the two people i wrote about in my book and i wrote i chose karen before karen became a thing
1: (laughs) you you looked into the future no
0: (laughs) that's right i just plucked that out and there karen appeared in my book so frank and karen two very different style of leaders and they're they having conflict at work and it's very easy to say well they're just so different that's just a personality problem but when we apply the problem tree uh, in this example to what's going on, we discovered that uh, Frank's motivators are, are are financial. He's under a lot of pressure in his work unit, like these Frank and Karen work together on executive team and he's got financial pressures because he's got a couple of people uh, away on maternity leave. So he's short staffed. He hasn't been able to replace them because there's a labor shortage in the market. So he's he's under the pump to yeah. try and deliver on getting his results out. And the other thing that we discovered by going through the problem tree is the remuneration system is actually driving him to behave in a very uh, siloed wolf-like, like like lone wolf kind of fashion because he gets paid on the bonuses of his team performance. And so he started trying to poach people from anywhere around him in the organization, including Karen's team so that he could get his results, get his people, get his uh, things delivered so he could get his bonus at the end of the year. So that set him in conflict with Karen. Now Karen's work unit has got a completely different situation. Their market is booming. Her team uh, is doing really well because she's been investing in their training and development, and so they are high performing. And she's looking to expand and get more people on board too. So they they've been arguing about poaching of resources and accessing of resources. And their styles are quite different, but that's not really the conflict. The conflict is really about these conditions that are generating um, this competitiveness. And some of it is external and some of it's internal. So, you know, that's how we look deep yeah. into a problem is we go below the surface and look at what are the dynamics at play? What are the systems that are at play? They're setting these people up yeah. uh, for a struggle. Yeah, and, and then some of water-
1: measure, right? How they're getting measured is a key thing. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge bugbear in organizations and it's a chronic issue. You know, how do you actually reward performance? Yeah. Uh, do you do it on a team basis? Do you do it on an individual basis? And there are repercussions with either methodology. And I think the answer to that is you need a combination of both. Yeah. And the, the bigger lesson that uh, I think also is that you need a combination of instrin- intrinsic as well as extrinsic motivations for fe- for people. So intrinsic is like, I believe in the purpose of this organization, I'm motivated to develop mastery and to produce great results because it feels good and it's fun in itself. And then the extrinsic rewards are, how am I compensated for that? How am I recognized for that? So a balance of those two things builds engagement and all of both of them have repercussions. (laughs) And I think we need to be mindful of that. Like if we reward individuals, that can be a cascade of problems. A reward only teams, that can have a cascade of problems too. Yeah.
1: What about recognitions on, on team where where you say, hey, we struggle or we we had this project that failed or part of it failed and you have a recogni- yeah. recognition of saying they turned it around and he- telling where it was in the dark and, and how they pulled it through as a team, of course, if they did it. Um, so having the whole story behind it or the journey um, I think that's a good a good way of, of doing a recognition because um, we, have, we were problem solving every day. I am. Um, <laughs> um, so is, is that something you have seen that you, you do that recognition on, on, on a failure and then, of course, how they turned it around?
0: I think, of course, uh, we, we need to have feedback loops built into our leadership processes where we look at our successes as well as the, where we got uh, stumped and turned over. Because if we're not learning from what didn't work, then we are not progressing. It it is a failure when we don't do that analysis and we don't take the lessons forward. Um, So absolutely we need to do that. And plus the other advantage of doing it is that we build a sense of camaraderie when we're faced with adversity. So when we rally together as professionals, as team members, that sense of we're in this together, we can dig ourselves out, actually builds really strong uh, team relationships. If it's facilitated well by the leader, and I think that's the other big caveat with this one, it needs to be facilitated well.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about has has leadership skills? Have they changed due to the pandemic? Is it for the better, or what? What kind of impact have you have you seen?
0: The impact is twofold. One, leaders are exhausted, so they leaders have change fatigue themselves, and the reason for that is that they feel the pressure of having to be always the one rallying the troops and um, pointing out where the opportunities are and trying to shift perspective on not of what we've lost, but what we could possibly gain. And that requires uh, cortisol, adrenaline, dopamine, the biochemicals, which are energizing and yet are draining. And so leaders are finding it difficult to replenish themselves. The second thing I'm seeing is that there is uh, an elevation of facilitation skills needed for leaders. So what I mean by that is a lot of leaders are contending with uh, hybrid teams or remote teams, and they're just not getting the same kind of emotional feedback, feedback and input through the screens because everybody seems so is the way the screens work is it flattens our expression. Yeah. We miss out on the micro cues of having bodies in the same room. Yeah. And which generally give us a lot of information and also, pep us up, (laughs) so we miss out on the pepping nature of being in the company of other humans. And so there's this increased pressure on leaders to uh, reboot themselves and also learning how to build engagement through screens. And uh, it does require finesse, it does require being able to build team dynamics. Now, the good news is is all the uh, analog skills of facilitating a team can apply through uh, through ski screens so being yeah. able to set the scene and being able to get people to contribute and build safety all that kind of stuff still applies and I think it needs to be more intentional so I'd say there's a dialing up of facilitation skills required by leaders and also I think the the need to be creative uh, is another is another skill that's coming to the fore and that's been a long-term trend that that was a a trend that was identified five, 10 years ago as one of the most emerg- important emerging trends for leadership skills that we need to pay attention to. So like I think there's maybe a dozen key leadership skills that um, have been dialed up or down depending on the historical context. And I think those are the two that are at the, at the top of the leadership skill list that have particular emphasis right now.
1: Yeah. So- When with the hybrid, if if there's some organization has the hybrid solution, some are like still remote, some are saying everybody needs to come into the office. Um, So what I'm seeing is that these organizations have, you know, everything is a little bit different of of how to have everybody in the same room or if they're on the screen. What, how does that impact the company culture? Because again, if you're hiring new people in, um, you need to, they, they need to have that feeling of the company culture. Um, so, again, what kind of challenges is, is out there right now?
0: I'd love that you bring this up. I think it highlights how deliberate and intentional leaders need to be in, first of all, cataloging or uh, characterizing their culture and being more intentional and deliberate about it and not assuming that because you throw people in a room that they're automatically going to get the vibe, which is what a lot, or, a lot of leaders do. And so the emphasis now with making sure that you maintain a consistent culture is bringing out the specifics of what that actually means. You know, What are the values that the team and company uphold and not just motherhood statements on a wall. It's like, what are, we've really thought about these, these values and this is how we express it uh, each and every day. This is what it means to us. These are the, the founding stories of the organization and our history and why it's important to us. And so it becomes more than just uh, something that we think offhand of. It's like, no, if we're gonna hire new people into this hybrid, weird, remote environment, then we need to make sure that they know what kind of community that they're engaging in. And then we need to embed those cultural norms and practices and ethos into our daily practices, whether it's in how we manage our our daily standups, if we have them, how we handle our meetings, what kind of meetings, and all of our our values need to be embedded into those practices as well. Um, and it's funny, like talking to different leaders, and I've got a really stark contrast in my mind for how this works, right? So, I interviewed one one leader who was anti-meetings. Like he's like, "Not nah, we are." a fast paced IT deliverable company, we do not have time to waste in meetings. So we do not have meetings. We have an internet and people want things resolved. That's where they go to get stuff resolved. And if we do call a meeting, it's under extraordinary circumstances for a very limited time. And so their culture was very much independent, uh, hardworking individuals who come together for tactical reasons. So that was his particular approach and that company has a very particular culture and it suits people who are very independent and beaver-like in their approach to work this however contrasts with a different kind of leader which is a very much a relationship-based organization and the key success for their organization is about making sure that there's strong relationships with them and their customers and that there's strong relationships with everybody who delivers. And so they would be appalled to think that they wouldn't have any meetings because they need those relationships, that networking in order to facilitate solutions for their clients and to enable learning across uh, across the teams. And so they have a different approach. They have a daily standup. They have uh, weekly drinks um, all through Zoom, of course, because uh, this particular leader is in is in. in a strict lockdown at the moment. And they have defined what kind of meetings that they schedule. And each meeting has a particular theme. And so people know how to turn up in terms of their thinking. So are they coming to a planning meeting? Are they coming to a celebration meeting? Are they coming to a troubleshooting meeting? And so they fine tune and they have about five different types of meetings that they put in their roster. And the meetings are central to building the culture. So I I love those two comparisons, right? So one is like independent workers head down, bomb up. And the other one is no, no, no. We are networked and we are collaborative and neither one is right or wrong. It, it's all about how the results you're after in a company feed into the systems that you set up for your company and your culture and honoring that and letting people know from the outset, that's what you're walking into. So one person who's a people person would struggle completely in the first company right like you would feel so isolated and likewise if you're a head down bum up person you would be so frustrated with all those meetings in the collaborative culture Um, so when we make all that transparent and obvious i think it makes it a lot easier for leaders and it makes a lot easier for the people that they bring on board to know how to operate within that culture
1: yeah no, it, it makes sense. And it's also a balance, I'm sure, right? Because an organization, if you look back um, and a hist- looking at the history, I'm sure that company can say, hey, we evolved over these 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, a company will never stay on the same plateau. Um, I, I have not seen that. So um, what about, um, I, I've seen that like, um, I think it's three and four employees want their leaders to have more effective trans- transparent communication. Um, and, and it's so important that everybody is, is on the same page, but, but what if you have a leader that has difficulty, you know, sharing that transparency? Um, what, what, um, how, how do you, how do you start the, the communication or how do you start that flow of, of asking for, even if it, if it's, you know, to your leader and saying, Hey, I I need to have some more transparency of what's going on or is, is people just afraid and then they, they just go and, and find another job.
0: Uh, well, that's a very contextual question right so it, it depends is the big answer around that yeah. so if you're a worker in an organization and you feel like your boss is um, not sharing in a fulsome way is kind of deflective is trying to maintain a strong front but you know there's stuff going on uh very difficult if you don't have positional authority to say, hey, spill the beans, let's know what's going on yeah. um, because you don't know what's going on for that person you don't know what's in their personal life that's driving them to do that. If anything, you don't know what kind of pressure they're under from their supervisor and so on. So huge risk um, if you are not in a positional authority to say say, your boss like, can you tell us more? Yeah. No, <laughs> no. yeah. So I think, do you have to just up and leave? Well, depend. like it depends, like depends what the tensions are. Um, so your question really is like, how do we encourage vulnerability and openness in an organization? Yeah. I think we go, we dive deep below the surface uh, is we look at the systems that are driving that particular behavior. So it becomes not a personality issue with the, with the person at the top. It's like, what are the systems that are preventing them from being open and transparent? And maybe it's the accountability system. Maybe it's the reporting system that's keeping them from being able to uh, share particular things, or there might be Uh, parameters in which they operate where they don't have the scope to be able to share. Um, So I think when we have a look at the systems then that's that gives us a little bit of leeway in order to share that with our boss and so the conversation could be rather than please stop you know stonewalling us by not telling us anything which is setting you up for a conflict conversation too. I noticed that we have this reporting system uh, that prevents us from getting effective feedback on issues in the organization. Um, Is there an opportunity to review how we do reporting? Say for example, is there an opportunity to review how we get information about the performance of the company? So it becomes a suggestion about how we shift systems as opposed to how do we shift somebody's approach? And by shifting the systems, you have a cascade of change behaviors potentially. Yeah. So that that's a, a lot to have a look at if you're somebody who's just trying to get your job done and you think, my boss won't tell me what's going on or isn't giving yeah. us the whole picture.
1: Oh, so it's pulling it back to the communication, right? To have some good conversations um, and and have that and then push it or not push it, but share that, that transparency.
0: I think it, it's pulling you back to perspective first, you know, rather than, than putting yourself in opposition to the person you think is the problem. It's it's zooming below the surface and going, okay, what else is going on for this person? And maybe it's looking at what are their motivators. So there's the, you know, their, their patterns of behavior. And in people stuff, I talk a little bit about this, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with negative behaviors, the chapter is the four devils of people stuff, then you can look at what's triggering that negative behavior. Uh, and that's helpful for it to understand how then we can approach them. Um, so, diving below, looking at people's drivers as well as the systems are two ways to start looking at it. And then, and then it's the communication piece, which is, okay, uh, knowing what I do now or having hunches about what I think could be going on, how do I then broach the subject in a way that invites communication, invites a collaborative solution to this as opposed to an accusation? Which is where we often feel like we feel like we're being slighted by our boss in particular, or even by a colleague, then we can go in all defensive or offensive and that just is a cascade of issues right there, if we go in with that kind of mode. Yeah. Um, What
1: about, so again back to to the company culture, and also I'm sure it's also touching actually communication. But so measuring the engagement in, in a company or how happy or you know, the happiness in a company. Um, I've seen a lot of surveys uh, that, that you can see there that Gallup always they have one as well. Um, and how how important is it? Or is it more trending that every company will like to have this because then they have something they can measure? Um, what, what is your recommendation if you want to go in and look at of, of your employees, of, of the engagement that's right there?
0: I think it's difficult to benchmark against another company culture because every organization is its own ecosystem. So I would, you know, caution people against having a set of results and whether you use the Gallup, um, Gallup's 12 questions in terms of your survey and comparing it to another organization. Like, that doesn't really help because each organization has its own ecosystem. Yeah. I think it's, Important that we do get a baseline and get some information from our people about how things are going. I'd prefer to see it on a team by team basis. Uh, so, because I think people have different perspectives, right? So, their experience on their individual team might be different to how they perceive the whole organization. So, I think we need to be aware of micro teams, uh, of cultures between teams, as well as the perspective on the whole organization. An easy way to do it is. To sort of get, if you want a, a numerical benchmark and you want to be comparing to yourself and previous results, is to use the employee net promoter score. Yeah. Which is the easy rating, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend this team or this company uh, to somebody else as a good place to work? And um, then you can calculate based on those results where your where your starting point is. But, you know, one score in is just a point in time. You need to keep asking it over a period of time with the intention of asking, so what? <laughs> so they rate it a two out of 10, which is bad. Yeah. Why? You know, what's yeah. going on? So then it's an invitation to, again, dive below the surface and figure out what's going on there. So there's, oh, there's so many different instruments for this, you know, like um, Culture Amp has another really fabulous platform where they have very, complex uh, assessments that you can implement into your own organization that give you fine-tuned details. And I think it also depends on the size of the organization as well. Bigger corporates will have more nuanced um, reports needed and bigger resources to do that. If you're a smaller company, then I think you can go with something like the employee net promoter score and a couple of open-ended questions and have regular uh, communication with your team about it as long as it's front and center. And I think with any measurement though, you gotta be asking, why are we doing this? Um, What is the end outcome we want? If we're measuring it, we want to be improving it. And so what does that look like? And how will we tell? So it's like designing your measurement system with the results in mind and being able to improve it at the same time.
1: I think one of the questions on the Gallup is do you have a best friend at work? Um, And everyone can answer that in different ways and with all the diversity that is in different companies right a best friend is that the one you grew up with is the best friend one you can go and have fun with and have lunch with is that best friend the one you can vent together with because something happened in the company Um, I think that question can have so many different answers because it has the word best (laughs) friend Um, I don't know if they still have that uh, in there uh, but but I've, I've seen that there was a lot of um, I've seen a lot of communication around it, <laughs> uh, because people just answered it differently and then it's difficult to benchmark on it or have a baseline on it. If, if you're not answering on this, on the same ground.
0: Oh, I think that's true of all the questions, really. Like it's how we interpret what they mean. Yeah. I think the intent behind the question is what needs looking at the intent behind the question is, do you feel safe? Do you feel welcome, wanted and needed? Yeah. And Though that's sort of what's implied in that question. Having a best friend means that you feel like you feel safe, you got someone to trust, um, and that you feel like you belong. And I think there's different ways of asking that question than using the best friend one. And mm-hmm. again, it also depends how big the company is like some and the structure of the company. If you, like the company I mentioned, which is the 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 beavering company where people are just working autonomously it's not relevant to them, right? It's not irrelevant to them to have a best friend because they're autonomous units and not even appropriate. Like they would say that doesn't matter to us whatsoever. So I think we need to keep in mind context uh, of each organization before we start designing or adopting any surveys like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Do you have any good recommendation on how to motivate people to to better engage in, in a company?
0: Motivation versus inspiration is a perennial topic, right? So, motivation is carrot and stick conversations, <laughs> and I think carrot and stick conversations are are really difficult. Uh, I think it comes back to the extrinsic versus for extrinsic and intrinsic reward system. So, if you if you find that somebody's not motivated in the company, the same principle applies, right? Dive below the surface. What's going on for this for this human? Is there something in their personal world that's decreasing their desire to show up is there something in the systems at place at work that are getting in their way preventing them from achieving outcomes which is demotivating for them Um, i think you need to ask the bigger questions like how aligned to the purpose of their work and the organization as a whole is this human do they really understand what the company's all about is that clearly expressed Do their values align so i think there's some really deep layered questions around and values and purpose that need to to go into it I, you know just casting something in front of somebody is not a useful methodology if you look at some of the work of um dan pink in his book drive he talks about three things that's necessary for good work he says purpose is one which we just spoke about mastery the opportunity to mastery skills is another way of building engagement um, and autonomy is the, is the third, which is do I have capacity to make decisions about my own work uh, on my own or am I working in a very strict regimented way and I've got no fluidity and opportunity to make decisions? So he says those three factors are really important for engagement. And some of the other research I did in, in, uh, in writing people stuff added a fourth one which trumped all of those actually, which is recognition. Uh, feeling recognized and doesn't mean to be financial. It can be simply acknowledgement of a job well done with specifics outlining, you know, what was it specifically that you did and how did it have an impact on other people? And it takes 30 seconds to do that. And this is what's amazing, like something like 55% increase in employee engagement when non-financial recognition was implemented. And this is a report from 2019. Wow. That came up with that. So you can have an incredible impact on performance, i.e. employee engagement, simply by saying, you know, Sana, that was a really wonderful way that you set up the podcast. I really liked how you set up your show. Your guests are really engaging and the tone is just right. And you have a great curi- curiosity that invites people to have conversations. I can't wait to see what's next. Something like that, which takes 30 seconds, which lights up somebody else gives them a positive boost for the day yeah it's such an easy thing to do and i think as leaders we need to keep in mind of always catching people doing something right that's something i learned 20 odd years ago as a new manager and my my boss gave me a series of books she said here read this it's called the one minute manager manager by ken i think ken blanchard yeah and i'm like gobbled up that book and that's the one thing that stayed with me all this time is like catch people doing something right okay and uh, all the research is Continue to support that. That is a really important methodology of trying to get people engaged in what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I agree I got so happy when you said good stuff on my my podcast
0: um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I could so, see it I could see it yeah, right up even though I you know, know we've, I'm doing like, this through a screen <laughs> it's like oh that's nice thank you <laughs> yeah, no so we
1: we learn every day uh, but we also learn you know what we well, from 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 the past so um, but what will you tell sorry if you were like to look 10 years ago what would you have told told yourself
0: I recently did an exercise around this um, for myself. Um, and then the context is that this year, it was 25 years since I arrived in Australia. So I've been in Australia f- having moved over from Canada 25 years ago. I'm like, wow, wow. Um, trying to rewind what was life like and what, who was I 25 years ago and uh, got some great insights. So 10 years ago, shorter time frame. And so I'm 51 now, I'd be 41 then. And where was I working? I was still working at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. I think the key messages that applied to 25 years ago that applied to 10 years ago would be, you're not as crap as you think you are, (laughs) which is I think a common theme for many leaders is that they they suffer with imposter syndrome. They're very self-critical. And they have trouble seeing their own superpowers. And so I think that's a nice little reminder to myself. Uh, or if I could tell myself at the age of 41, you're probably better than you think you are. Um, that would be the first thing. So a little bit of a you know, boost there. And the second was, second one would be just keep learning and leaning into learning. And it's in learning that we grow. And I think that's a really useful message to... And it's something that you say too, we're always learning, always wanting to learn. I think that's a key message for whatever stage of our career we are at is to keep learning and leaning into that. And that's probably the third message would be look after your health. And that's a pretty big fundamental piece. Um, And that's easiest thing to let slide when you're feeling well and easiest thing to remember when you don't. (laughs) Yeah. So I think make that a primary responsibility. Yeah.
1: I think the, with the health one, it's like put money in the bank, you know, stay active, eat healthy as much as you can, but, but it's just, it's money in the bank later on when you get older. But uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love your observation like that. It is, it's like, what are you investing in? And one of the things I've started asking myself too, about choices that I make today that affect what's going to happen next is filtering every decision with the, is this for my current self or is this for my future self? If is what I'm eating now for my current self or for my future self? And sometimes it's like to satisfy my, my current self right now, because that chocolate looks really amazing. And will my future self appreciate that as kind of the filter, you know, what decisions am I making today that I'm investing in my future self? And I think that's a really useful frame to help us make important decisions, whether it's around priorities or whether it's impulsive choices that kind of thing
1: yeah so thank you so much sorry for for being on the podcast I really enjoyed it I I love the the people stuff I actually like the 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 title of your book just call it people stuff I I love it um and I also love the the whole problem tree that you said because there's so many there's so many more behind it right and when you ask you know but why did you why did we do this? You know, and then actually ask the questions to, to, to go deeper. So um, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I also love your, your learnings or your, your, your advice to yourself. Um, I, I think the keep learning. Um, when I got out of college, I was like, no more, right? And then a couple of years later, I was <laughs> like, I need more. Um, and then I've been on this journey of saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna learn more. So, uh, so thank you so much. It, it, was, it was really great.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sana. This was great fun, and thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. It's really important to get learning lessons, insight out into the world. So good on you. Thank you. Um, if somebody wants to to reach out to you, where, how can they how can they find you? Uh, They can find me at my website, zoerouth.com, which is Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.com or on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active there and as well as across the other social medias. And I have my own podcast too, the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. Awesome.
1: So listener, subscribe to both both of them. (laughs) No. Okay. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this podcast, maybe you'd like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure also to check out our website, mindtheinnovation.com. And remember, stay curious and keep learning.